The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM. Welcome to a brand new edition of the Big Red Bench Women's Sport Podcast. I'm your host, Jerry McCarthy, and on this week's show, our special VIP guests are 2023 Cork and Munster LGFA Junior Champions Lisa Hart from Ola Driscoll and Kate O'Donovan from the O'Donovan Rossett Club, who talk about their upcoming trip to Glasgow for an all Ireland quarter final. I review the latest Cork LGFA minor county finals, and we hear about a hugely successful East versus West divisional fundraising clash in aid of Marymount Hospice. AFLW uh, expert and Aussie Rules coach Mike Curran reviews all action-packed finals weekend, all the standout Irish players' performances and previews this weekend's preliminary final matchups. Cork's Red FM's rugby expert Wendy Keane has all the latest women's AIL, Munster Adult and Munster Youth results, plus news of the upcoming Celtic Challenge. Munster Women's Hockey's Graham Catchpole reviews the latest EY1 and Munster Women's Hockey Division 1 results and scorers. Formula 1 expert Sarah McKenzie Foley reviews the latest Las Vegas Grand Prix. And finally, The Echo's Linda Mellerick looks at Sarsfield reaching the Munster Camogie Senior Final and talks about new Cork Camogie Senior Manager Ger Manley's appointment. That's all to come on this week's jam-packed Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. This week's Big Red Bench VIP special guests are 2023 Cork and Munster LGFA Junior A champions O'Donovan Rosses, Lisa Hart, Fanolo Driscoll and Kate O'Donovan. We spoke about the West Cork Club's remarkable season and this weekend's All-Ireland Junior quarter final trip to Glasgow. Now here on Corkshire FM's Big Red Bench, we are delighted to be joined by members of the O'Donovan Rossa ladies football team who on Saturday, November the 25th will travel to Glasgow to take part in an All-Ireland Junior football quarterfinal against the Glasgow Gales. It has been quite the season for the West Cork Club, to put it mildly. They are the Cork Junior A County Champions and they are now the Munster Junior A Champions and are still uh, hoping to continue their season after the coming weekend when they take on Glasgow Gales in Glasgow. Uh, delighted to be joined by three members of the team. Uh, first up, Lisa Hart, who's the team captain. Lisa, how are you? Hi, Jared. Good. How are you? I'm really good. Uh, Fanolo Driscoll, how are you? Hi, Jared. All good here. Good stuff. And Kate O'Donovan, you're very welcome to the bench. How are you? Hi, Jared. Thanks very much. All good. Very good. So everyone's good. Everyone's nervous. So we better just crack on because I know how nerve wracking these things can be for people. Um, Lisa, I'm going to start with you. And before we talk about where O'Donovan Ross are and the season that they've had, I want to take you back to last year because I was there at MTU Cork when O'Donovan Ross got to the Junior A County Final only to lose to Neva Vaughan from Balavorni. You were well beaten on the day. Talk to me about what happened in the aftermath of that junior fo- county final loss because the way you've bounced back has been so- nothing short of spectacular. But talk to me about the hurt and the pain and what kind of happened with the group of players uh, over the winter months following that junior final defeat. Um, yeah, I suppose uh, we thought about that day going into the county final this year and we just knew that we didn't want to be in the same position. Um, that hurt, you could see yourself on there on the day that um, everyone was just so hurt after it. So that drove us on for this year. But afterwards, um, the team got together and um, James O'Donovan came into our management panel and he's been a great asset. But um, definitely it drove us on this year for all the girls to be so committed and just train even harder and um, to get results this year. And thank God we did I mean, Lisa, I've seen the likes of Castlehaven lose county finals and bounce back. I've seen Glanmoyer, mm-hmm. who are now also like yourselves in the, in the, at the All-Ireland stage of the Intermediate Football Championship, lose three county finals in a row. It's, it's very difficult to come back from these things. 
but what I mean the motivation clearly was there to improve in the coming year but like for a group of players that have suffered that and didn't with the greatest of respect show up that day against Nevavon or maybe Nevavon who went on to an All-Ireland final themselves let's not forget that year didn't allow you to play you don't need motivation to go and want to win a county every year I understand that in the group of players that you represent but there must have been hurt and there must have been a, a real drive as soon as training got back together or did it happen gradually as the championship went on? Um there definitely was that drive. We knew at the start of the year like what we were capable of, capable of, but we just didn't deliver that day in MTU last year. Um, I suppose it did take us a while to get into it this year. We had no luck with our league campaign. And then um, down in um, Union Hall, the day of the West Cork final, Donnie's beat us this year. And we met them again then in the, um, our championship campaign. And we started off our championship and we haven't lost a game since our first day out in the championship. Um, so definitely it took us a while to get into it, but I think we all knew what we were capable of, but we just weren't delivering and we weren't gelling together, but then it all came together at the right time this year. Did it what? I mean, there's an understatement. Uh, mm-hmm. As you said, you started the Junior A Football Championship, you beat Donnie's Middleton, Douglas and Bantry Blues in the round-robin stage, you got to the semi-finals, and Fanula Driscoll, lo and behold, you meet Donnie's once again in the junior final. I mean, um, I thought you played spec really well that day. Can you... Was there a big difference going into this year's county final compared to the previous years in that you had the experience of the day at MTU, you knew what to expect, but you also had an an opponent that knew you very well. Um, Was it that bit easier in the build-up or or was it just as nerve-wracking? I wouldn't say it was easy, um, but uh, like we'd we'd met ponies, you know, know, two times previous, like we've met them a lot. They're a great great rival to have and, um, you know, when it's a local battle like that, there's there's a bit bit more maybe we're a bit more nervous that kind of way it drives you on like Lisa said a little bit more like playing your neighbours that kind of way but yeah like we, we just really came together on the day definitely wasn't um as nervous going into that county final there's kind of a, a quiet confidence like James and the lads had us prepared so well like we took each game in the championship it was just one game at a time just go through the phases we'll get there like and like Lisa said we're peaking at the right time but yeah, we definitely weren't as nervous for that county final, like even though it was such a big occasion to playing your neighbours like that. But um, yeah, definitely from last year, we, we learned an awful lot from that. So it, it drove us on this year, yeah. And I know, Finola, you had injury issues last year as well, but you've been relatively, I'm assuming relatively injury-free this year. I mean, the confidence that the team got, not alone from the forwards with yourself, Evo Donovan, Laura Manny as well, uh, chipping in with a few scores from midfield uh, and that defence that plays behind you that's been getting better and better. Did you see that this year? Did you sense that, look, as the championship was developing, we're winning here. We're winning, we're winning, we're winning. And it's, you know, that momentum is going to stand to us later on. Well, definitely, yeah. Like, I mean, God, like, we're all injury-free and everyone's healthy and, like, that's the main thing. Like, um, but, um, yeah, no, like, credit to our defence as well. Like, they, they do a lot of kind of, you know, the hard work turning over ball. When we see them lock someone down or you know turn over a really hard score or whatever we want to get the scores then you know to, to punish other teams to show that when we do that hard work we will finish we'll finish that at the end of the day as well but like we have to give credit to our defense as well like they've they've been unbelievable like in that county final like they held Donnie scoreless for about 20 minutes like that's that's just amazing like and and to be able to you know chip in a few scores as well it is nice too at the end of the day yeah very politely put in there. Chip in with a few scores. Spoken like a true forward. Uh, Kate O'Donovan, talk to me about this management team because James O'Donovan obviously is the manager but the, the entire management team and what they've done 
for you since last year because you've been together quite a long time. I've seen you come up through the ranks with the junior ranks down through the years, but I don't have roster on a real roll now. But how important were James and that management team in the immediate aftermath of losing to Neva Vaughan and, and the hurt of losing a county final? Because I've seen enough teams reach county finals and they never get back despite their best efforts. What did they do for you and how, you know, how, how much have you leaned on them as well now that you've come out of the county and you're into Munster? Yeah, like our management has been absolutely unbelievable. I think from day one, they kind of set that belief in us, I suppose. We had a meeting at the very start of the year about where we wanted to go and what potentially we could achieve. So they really did set the beliefs high. But I suppose at the same time, they very much keeps us grounded. You know, it's very much one match at a time. Just go through the motions, go through the phases. But I think they all had long-term goals in, in mind. But I suppose we didn't know that until now. Yeah, getting info to James after matches is not the easiest thing to do. He's like all good managers. He tells the reporters very, very little and he wants to keep. I can understand as well because you were playing so well in their own Robin stage, Kate. Like, you obviously knew you were playing well. You obviously knew that things were going well, but it's a very difficult grade to get out of. But that, I suppose, that momentum, as the word I keep going back to you again, Rodonovan Rossa, momentum again was with you and you needed that against Donnie's and he certainly needed that in Munster and getting to a Munster final. Yeah, absolutely. And I think. You know, we kind of took um, a lesson from every game and we kind of had one kind of key thing to improve on every game. We kind of talked about, say, for, um, for example, maintaining possession. You know, that was a very key term that was kept being said in our dressing room. Um, scoring, shooting, we kind of focused on a lot of things and I suppose we just tried to improve on every single game. So although our performance was absolutely ex- like was quite good in all the games and we came out with the win, you know, we did want to better ourselves every single time too. So... I suppose while there was momentum there, you know, we didn't want to get carried away either. We still needed to improve and I think we haven't done that now. Yeah, that's that's a fair point. And like just from Kate and Finola's answers there, Lisa, I can hear and I can I could sense it as the season went on. There was an inner belief within this group, okay, that look, we're winning a county. Or it, it that's just it. We're winning a county and we're going for it. I'm not just saying it kind of blase. It's a very it's a very difficult thing to do. But talk to me about getting to the Munster final and facing your Kerry opponents, uh Clan Mack and my vein, because you know, a really solid team, an amalgamation, so they've got a big pick of players. We knew that they were very, very good, but you outscored them twelve points to one seven, but how much, that was a very difficult final to win for you, how much did what had come just before winning the county and getting that off your backs help you in the build-up and on the day itself? Oh my God, um, the build-up to it like was huge and like that definitely drove us on um, on the day we were down a point at half-time and look, I suppose no one lost the um, belief in ourselves either, you know, there was no negativity, we were all just driving each other on and you could really see that in the second half. Um, We had our fair number of wides on the day but everyone was just so positive on the pitch and it was the supporters as well in the crowd that um, came up to Mallow that day, like as in the the, not only the players but the support that we've gotten from the town as well, like definitely played a pack of played a factor in um, driving us on. And um, I think as well, the lead up to it, um, we got um, a tough enough draw. We got um, the quarter final um, that was away in Tipperary. And then we got the semi-final in Clare. And like, obviously travelling from Skibbereen, you're so far away from all these places. But I think having to get over those two tough days really like drove us on. And look, playing the Kerry team, we knew they were going to be a great side. And like, it was a credit to of defence too that, that we're putting so much pressure on our forwards but we knew it was going to be our biggest challenge and it, it definitely was but thank God we got there in the end and we got over the line but 
it was just the determination and how much every single person on that pitch wanted it there. Like that's really what got us over the line was the hunger for it in the end. Yeah, and Fanula, as Lisa, very, uh, very outlined very well there. Obviously, he had momentum. Obviously, he had won two tough away games. Uh, Borhalan, I think it was a Newmark and Fergus. But from your point of view, you must have seen down through the years, like uh, we all know this, very few people come to watch ladies' football matches or have done it if it's a league game at whatever time of the year. It's just a reality. It's getting better, but very rarely do they do. But the way the town of Skibreen has gotten behind you, and this is not a cliche again, this is a fact, the atmosphere and the crowd that day in Mallow, you could obviously sense it and sometimes you have to control that emotion and you know, you're know you there to do a job. But how much did it help you that particular day in the Munster final? Uh, like, it's like, it's, so hard to describe like uh, the people of Sibreen, the way the town has come together, what they've done for us, just seeing them on the sideline. Because when, when things, you know, weren't going right, need a couple of wides and that kind of thing, like, you know, they were nearly the 16th player on the, t- on the team. Like they were, they were there with us every step of the way you, you see, like, it's, and it's the same even for our championship games. They've been with us right from the start, you know, but it, it's just so great to see everyone get behind us. Everyone wants to support us like the people of Skibreen are absolutely amazing like we really couldn't have done without them like I'll say it again they were the 16th player on the team like it was if you know we could, really couldn't have done it like that's a that's that's a very good way of putting it I'm sure they'll all appreciate that um, and know that all of this has happened and know that you've come through the county section you've come through your provincial section Kate you're heading off to Glasgow over on the big plane on, in a big gang of you together all well behaved on the plane of course you'd be well behaved on the plane and you're playing Glasgow Gales in an All-Ireland Junior quarter final I say those words to you is it hard to understand or just, you know accept that you know that you're in an All-Ireland quarter final or are you just focused now on making sure that a lot, there'll be a lot of hype around this game there'll be a lot of difference now to different games because you're flying you're in a different country you've got to be very very focused because Glasgow Gales people that know nothing about them will just assume what Donovan Ross are going to go over and win that's not being disrespectful but this is a serious team and this is a team that will want to put up a good show in front of their own supporters so you've got to be on it and I would imagine that's something that James and the management team have been reiterating in, in, in the days leading up to it Of course yeah I suppose we can't really get carried away with the title either you know although it's an unbelievable achievement to get to an All-Ireland quarterfinal at the end of the day it is still just a game of football like any of our other football matches that we've played and, you know, I think we're just going to have to rely back on our system. You know, nothing has changed. We're still just going to keep playing the way we have. Um, but obviously it is going to drive us on further. You know, there is, it's now in the horizons what could be. So, yeah, I suppose the hunger is very much um, at a high now at the moment. But it's something that you can also enjoy. I mean, I'm not suggesting for a second you just sit there quietly on the plane. I know you won't. But, um, no. uh, Kate, from your point of view, like for the younger players as well, this is a big thing. And I've seen it with our clubs, men's clubs and, and, uh, and ladies football teams in the past. When they go across the water or they go to play anywhere, there's a huge and uh, loving, uh, lovely atmosphere for the fans that can afford to go. But for the younger players, Kate, that have never experienced this at adult level with Skibbereen, they might have experienced West Cork wins. They might have experienced going close in county championships. This is the All-Ireland now and you've come yeah. through a really tough provincial, how beneficial is all of this going to be, Kate, for those young players? Oh, I mean, it's going to be superb. I mean, I know a lot of the girls, they've told me that they haven't been on a plane before um, ever. So, I mean, this is going to be some start of them to have this as their first um, opportunity. So, yeah, I mean, it will be a great experience. And, of course, we're going to have the crack along the way. But, you know, we are very focused now. We know what we need to do. So we are just going to turn up on the day now. Um, you know, we're not going to let it get to us. We are going to be focused and just do what we always do and just play our game of football. 
And that's it, Fanula. I mean, it's still a game of football. I know it's an All-Ireland quarter-final. It's a big game in the club's history. It's an opportunity to one step closer, potentially, to an All-Ireland final. And you've got to, you've got to turn up and you've got to perform. Can I ask you, because in the immediate aftermath of winning this year's county final, the Junior A county final, I was witnessing the uh, celebration, shall we say, across social media. Oh, they're the faces. Look at them now. Across <laughs> social media. And I remember speaking to James not long after it and saying, well, what about Munster? And he said, look, I haven't really thought about it, but the players, you know, it'll be up to the players. We'll see now, you know, how quickly they finish up with the celebrations. You bounce back in style because to go on the road twice in Munster and then to win the Munster final, obviously you enjoyed the moment. And I could see from social media, there was lots of celebrations going late into the night. But how quickly was it, how easy was it to come back down to earth again and, you know, and, and focus in on that Munster Championship, which has now led to this quarterfinal of the All-Ireland Championship? Yeah, like, when you have those wins, you, you do have to enjoy them and you'll celebrate them and everything. That's, that's very important to do. But, like, our mentality is there's always, there's a job to be done here, like, and, you know, dare to dream, you know. So, like, it's very, you know, we're grounded, like, and that's credit to, like, our management as well. They've kept us very grounded for the whole county campaign throughout the whole monster campaign like yes we we enjoy the wins when we get them but look there's still there's still more work to be done and, and this team is, is definitely going to dare to dream very grounded and they're daring to dream lisa as the captain how easy a dressing room is this to control sorry oh God, not like- not control uh but you know be the spokesperson for and lead them you know are they very well behaved off the pitch Oh, very well behaved, yeah. yeah. Oh, the pause um, killed it, Lisa. No, the pause killed super... it. <laughs> no, they're a super, super group of girls to lead and like there's not much um, leading in them because there's so many other leaders that are on the pitch, you know. Um, we do have a few young girls, all right, um, that's starting on our, well, a few under 16 girls starting on our panel and like having those girls there is great, but like the leaders really stepped up um, there on Saturday when the going got tough. Like it's not just myself, like there's so many big leaders on the team. So it's great. And that it really shows on the big days then um, how much we all work together and work for each other. It's just. Yes. And and again, you've put your nail, uh, you put the nail on the head there, the way this team works for one another, but from defense to forwards, midfield and everything I've seen, mm-hmm. the, the improved effort and the ability to go. Um, and do what you've done. Before we finish up, Lisa, I know we've spoken about the players. I know we've spoken about the supporters. We've also spoken about the management team. But there's a couple of other uh, individuals and groups that have been very, very important to Donovan Rasta this year. Oh, huge, yeah. Um, I suppose I can't name out people uh, here individually today because I'll definitely forget someone. But the um, all the committee members, everyone like has just been so incredible. Like with organising everything for us, um, we haven't had to even think about anything. Only focus on the games, organising buses up to um, Tipperary and Clare, and now again, like people are just so good to help out organising the trip over to Glasgow for us. Um, you know, people don't don't see the work that goes on behind the scenes, but like I just hope all of them know that we all appreciate it. All thirty girls and. The support from the town has been incredible. Um, uh, I suppose sponsorship we've gotten from so many different businesses and organisations. I can't name them all out here today, but we appreciate them all so, so much. And not only the um, sponsorship, but the support with flags and buntings and signs. Like, I'd say you can't pass a door in Skibbereen that doesn't have red and white um, in it. So it just means so, so, so much to all of us on the panel and the management and everything, it just drives us on so much and we all really, really appreciate it. So thanks to everyone. 
And I think that's about the best way to end this interview by saying thank you. But also looking forward, Saturday, November 25th, the All-Ireland Junior LGFA quarterfinal in Glasgow. Glasgow Gales against the Cork and the Munster Junior A champions, O'Donovan Rossa from Skibreen. 11am throwing, and we'll be keeping tabs on that here on the Big Red Bench. And of course, we'll have all the reaction to come as well. But for now, uh, O'Donovan Rossa, Captain Lisa Hart, Fanula O'Driscoll and Kate O'Donovan, thank you very, very much for taking the time to speak to us here on Cork Shred FM's Big Red Bench. And we will have fingers crossed and we wish you all the best in that All-Ireland Junior quarterfinal. Thanks, Jared. Thank you. Miss the show? Grab the Big Red Bench podcast at redfm.ie. Cork's Red FM. Okay, so we've come towards the very end of this year's Cork LGFA Championship season, even though there are still a number of minor county finals going ahead over the next couple of days, of which we will talk about very shortly. But first, let's take a quick look back over the last seven days in a time period in which three West Cork LGFA clubs, Clonakilty, Ross Carberry and Kinsale, claimed 2023 Cork LGFA County Minor titles. Ahamilla was the venue for an all-West Cork County Minor B decider between Clonakilty and Tyg Macquarie last Saturday. Amid difficult conditions, a strong wind played its part during an end-to-end opening half, which saw the hosts head to the dressing rooms 1-6-1-3 in front. Tyg Macquarie reduced the five-point deficit down to the bare minimum during the dying minutes of an equally entertaining second half, but a dogged Clonakilty hung on to win 2-8-3-4 and claimed this year's Minor B County title. The scores for the winning clan team came via Katie O'Driscoll, who kicked five points. Kira Allman and Aoife O'Flynn-Mead each got a goal, with Quiva McAvoy, Millie Condon and Kira White uh, scoring a point apiece. Aleo O'Sullivan got 1-2. Rhea Buckley and Emma Hegarty each scored goals, with Katie Kingston and Amy McKennedy a point each on the score sheet for the Cora Club. Kinsale overcame Bannon Hassock and dreadful weather conditions to claim the 2023 Cork LGFA Minor C County Trophy. Bishopstown's 4G pitch hosted a minor decider in which Emer Nee Kearnig, Catherine Murphy and Amy Casey goals proved crucial to Kinsale's eventual victory. The West Cork LGFA side built an impressive 2-6-2 point interval advantage and held off Bannon Hassock to win 3-7-0-8 despite incessant rain throughout the evening. Catherine Murphy, Quiva Horgan and Sophie Collins were the other names on the Kinsale score sheet. Ross Carberry and Barra's Cork LGFA Minor C2 County Final went the way of the former in Newtown. A high-scoring game saw Ross emerge 5-5 to 4-7 winners, having led by two points at the interval. Etain Hayes and Lauren O'Donovan each scored two goals, and they proved critical in a high-scoring Ross Carberry victory. Uh, Etain Hayes 2-1, uh, Lauren O'Donovan 2 goals, Orla Tobin 1-1 and Kellyanne French 2 points. Plus Akira Horan point provided Ross Carberry's total while Sinead Murphy 2-4, Elio Sullivan 2-2 and Ruby Downing uh, not one were amongst Bearer's scorers. There was disappointment for a West Cork LGFA club, Valley Rovers, who despite a valiant effort came up short in their Cork LGFA minor A2 county decider last weekend. Rovers took on Aaron's own on Bishop's own 4G pitch and utilised a strong win to good effect to lead by a goal, won three to three points at the break. But Aaron's own, backed by strengthening wind, completely bossed the second period and ran out deserving 2-8 to 1-3 winners. Kate McEntee, a goal, Quiva, Craig, Anna Collins and Millie Sloan a point each were Valley's scorers. Now let's look ahead to this weekend because Castlehaven and Morn Abbey will face off in Saturday night's 2023 Cork LGFA Minor A County Final. What a cracking game this promises to be. Now uh, the prospect of an all-West Cork decider was on the cards until Morn Abbey put in a terrific performance to see off Illin Rovers in the first of the LGFA Minor A County semi-finals. Kate Carey won three, Meg Walsh a goal, Carol O'Regan four points, Leah Carey two points, Maeve Collins and Keelan Murphy a point apiece. Scored for Illin in that semi-final but it was a big win for Morn Abbey to take them through to the county final where 
the, they would meet one of Castlehaven and Nava Bond, who met in last Sunday's second minor A semi-final, and two of the top minor teams in the county did not disappoint. But it was Castlehaven who came out on top. Um, the Haven made better use of the elements to build an impressive 4-8 to 1-3 interval lead. But credit to Nava Vaughan, they fought back after the break, and the Ballyborny side were just unable to reel their opponents in, despite, as we said, a really, really valiant effort. It finished 4-10 to 3-5 in Castlehaven's favour, thanks in part to Nava Sullivan, who top scored for the winners with three goals and two points. Ellie McCarthy kicked seven points. Becca Sheehy and Ellen Connolly, a goal apiece, were also on target for the Haven. Despite the loss, Neva Vaughan gave a fine count of themselves. Joanne Kelly kicking five points. Mary Ellen Kelleher, Darcy O'Brien and Alana Hoare each finding the net. But it wasn't enough to prevent Castlehaven from reaching this year's Minor A County Final. And what a clash that promises to be. Castlehaven and Moran Abbey going head-to-head in the Minor A County Decider on Saturday evening, November 25th on Bishopstown's GAS 4G pitch with a 7 o'clock throw-in. The following day on Sunday, November the 26th, Bantry Blues and Ibain Ladies will meet in an all-West Cork minor D county final at the same venue with a 12.30 throw-in. And also next Sunday, St. Coleman's will face either Mayfield or Wintervara in a Cork LGFA minor D2 county final with a 7pm start time. Now later this evening, Thursday, November the 23rd uh, at 7.30pm, this year's minor B2 county decider will be, will go, will see Granada and Watergrass Hill go head-to-head in Mallow. So the very best of luck to all the clubs taking part in Cork LGFA County Finals over the coming days and we'll keep tabs on those on next week's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Now, I have a report in from last weekend's East Cork LGFA Division versus the West Cork LGFA Division Challenge Match in aid of the Marymount Hospice that took place on Cladove GAA's Superb Complex. A name familiar to many Cork LGFA fans inside and outside the county bounds from down through the years, Father Liam Kelleher uh, sent in the following report. Cladove GA Complex was the venue for a charity ladies football game last Sunday which saw a team from the East Cork Division take on a team from the West Cork Division. The proceeds of between two and a half and three thousand euro which were raised will go to a very worthy cause, Marymount Hospice. The event came through a conversation between the chairpersons of both divisions, John McCarthy from West Cork and Bantry Blues and John Mackesy from East Cork and Cove. The venture proved a spectacular success and it was evident that a huge amount of effort and thought went into making the success that it was. Beginning with a colourful programme sponsored by Forest Print and supported by 18 generous advertisers which helped boost the coffers. All players arrived at 2pm for a photo shoot followed by a warm-up for the game in bitingly cold conditions. But thankfully the rain held off as both teams took to the field to do battle for a beautiful new cup sponsored by Tim O'Sullivan Clash Awards and Gifts Limited. The game itself was a very entertaining one and competitive all the way through, played in three 20-minute segments. After the first segment, East led West by 5-3, to three, but a sparkling second segment saw the East virtually put the game to bed as they opened up an 8-point gap. The final session was even once again with the tenacious East defence thwarting the efforts of the West, who on overall play did not deserve to be 110-05 adrift at the final whistle. Claire Carroll presented the beautiful trophy to the winning East captain, Ethel Murphy. And indeed, it could be said, everyone was a winner on the day. And while the four Cork senior panellists on view were superb, there were many more who relished the opportunity and occasion. If any of the Cork senior management team were present, they would certainly have penciled in quite a few names for future consideration. The effort put in by all the girls in management was very much appreciated. Having been involved myself with 20 All-Ireland underage winning teams before retiring at the start of COVID, I can see a format of what I witnessed on Sunday as a way of enhancing the fortunes of Cork Ladies Football senior teams in the coming years. Um, it's not rocket science to see what the two Johnnies, that's uh, John Mackesy and uh, John, um, sorry, John McCarthy, uh, 
did with their helpers, and I have no doubt about it, but it could be replicated and repeated in corporating all four divisions with the backing and support of the county board and management teams. After the trophy presentation, the teams, their management and supporters were treated to soup, tea, sandwiches and apple tart. Why did I miss out on this? And that was another gesture deeply appreciated to put an extra pep in everyone's step. On the day itself, the two panels that lined out were for East Cork, um, from the Middleton Club, Abby Quirk. From Rock Bond, Aideen O'Donovan. From Bride Rovers, Aoife Hurley. From Glanmire, Ava Carey. From Yod, Chloe O'Connell. Uh, Claudia Carney from Middleton. Cleena Cronin from Watergrass Hill. Dara Kinnery from Liskool. Dara Toomey from Rock Bond. Deirdre Corcoran from Middleton. Idel Murphy from Watergrass Hill. Ellie Mackesy from Cove. Erin Joyce from Yod. Grania Snedden from Glanmire. Hannah O'Mahony from Watergrass Hill. Kaya Bullman from Yall, Kayla O'Connor from Glanmire, Kayleigh O'Sullivan from St. Nick's, Lucy Keneally from Middleton, Michelle Sheehan from Watergrass Hill, Molly Bosang from Middleton, Molly Carroll from Liskould, Nicholas Sheehan, Rockbawn, Olivia Lehan, Watergrass Hill, Raina Power, Middleton, Ruby Kennedy, Yall, Sive Bosang, Middleton, Sarah Murphy from Bride Rovers and Tara McCarthy from St. Nick's and the management team was Gordon Kinsley, Philip Hogan, Claire Kennedy and John Mackesy. And as for the West, uh, from Ross Carberry, three representatives, Caitlin French, Kellyanne French and Sandra O'Donoghue from Donnie's, Alison Hayes, Ava O'Donovan, Erin O'Donovan, Margaret Collins, Michelle Murphy, Ms. Melissa Duggan, Michelle Duggan and Noelle O'Mahony. Castle Havens, Katie Hart was also represented. From Bantry Blues, Bernadette O'Flynn, Caitlin O'Mahony, Clean O'Shea, Emma Spillane, Jessica Coakley, Lucy Coakley, Mary O'Shea, Rachel Murphy and Sarah Bishop. And from Winter Gabriels, we had Anna Ward, Anna O'Regan and Margaret Murphy. So a lovely report coming there from Father Liam Keller. Good to see that he's still able to put together some excellent reports as he has been doing for over 20 years. And a fantastic day all around. Uh, Well done to the East Cork LGFA and West Cork LGFA divisions, raising close to €3,000 for Marymount Hospice. And everybody that got involved in Clodov, let's hope uh, that this is now an annual event where we can generate funds for Marymount each and every year. Uh, Well done again to everyone involved and uh, that concludes our roundup of the Cork GFA scene for this week we'll be back again next week when I'll have even more information about the end of season County Minor Fight The Big Red Bench Saturday and Sunday from 6pm AFLW Ireland's Mike Curran joined me on this week's Cork Short FM's Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to provide analysis comment and his expert coaching opinion on what was a fantastic weekend of AFLW finals action with some interesting results Mike runs the rule over every individual Irish player's performance and analyses Adelaide finals win over the Sydney Swans and Geelong Cats shock defeat of the Melbourne Demons. We also speak and look ahead to this weekend's two preliminary final matchups involving the Brisbane Lions and Geelong Cats and North Melbourne Kangaroos and the Adelaide Crows. Loads of Irish interest in those two games so um, an in-depth preview of those games as well and we finish with Mike discussing Neve Kelly's All-Australian Squad nomination a fantastic achievement for the AFLW Ireland Player of the Year. Now here on Cork Street FM's Big Red Bench it is that time again to speak about all things AFLW down under and we have reached uh, what is uh, unbelievably uh, it seems like only yesterday the season started but we are at the preliminary finals stages and that's because we had some serious action last weekend um, with some brilliant matches and lots of Irish involvement so there's only one man to talk to and that is our regular AFLW expert and coach that stars Mike Curran from AFLW Ireland. Mike how are you? Very good Jer. six teams have become four we're getting closer 
Are we what? Can't believe it's like only yesterday we were previewing the season and here we are getting to the closing stages, as you said. Let's start the round up with the first semi-final played last Saturday, November the 18th, between the Adelaide Crows and the Sydney Squans at the Norwood Oval. Uh, the game was won, as expected, by the Adelaide Crows in emphatic fashion as well, 82-15. The Adelaide Crows Irish this season have been Niamh Kelly and Yvonne Bonner and the Sydney Swans Irish so far are during the season. Jennifer Higgins, Paris McCarthy, Julia Sullivan and Tanya Kennedy with Mike. A 67-point victory, um, it's it's the Adelaide Crows back on uh, back on track, but let that's hopefully not going to detract from what's been a remarkable season for the Swans. No, certainly not. And look, the Crows have bounced back here in a big way from their two point loss in the qualifying final against the Lions. We thought they might, and that's what they did. And as you said, a massive sixty seven point win over Sydney, and the, the Sydney Swans fairy tale season has come to an end, and it's back down to earth for them. But yeah, it does not detract from it. Uh, only their second season, as we've mentioned, winless last year. To get to finals at all was an achievement. To win the elimination final and get a second crack uh, at a team as good as Adelaide was brilliant as well. It wasn't to be for them on the day, and their coach Scott Downs acknowledged afterwards that Adelaide are, is is the team that they aim to 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 get to across the next few years. And that so yeah, all in all, very successful season for the Swans, but uh, brilliant for the Crows. Look at and in fairness. They led this game from start to finish um, in front of a big crowd at Norwood Oval, just under 5,000. They dominated from the first ball up. Um, in the first quarter alone, they dominated the inside 50s, 13 against two, and scored 2-2 two, two off that. So in fairness, uh, Sydney did pretty well to, to restrain, restrain them to that score. And the Swans played with a similar intensity that we saw from them in that win over Gold Coast in the elimination final. And we knew they were going to bring that. But um, I suppose... Not only were the Crows attacking, they also built a wall around the middle of the ground, which made it very difficult for the Swans to get forward themselves. And in the end, it was the more experienced Crows that shone through against, uh, I suppose, one of the newcomers in the competition, the Swans. In terms of the standout players on the night, Anne Hatcher, we've been saying that name all year round. She was outstanding for Adelaide Crows in the middle. She had 37 disposals. That's the most ever disposals in an AFL W final in history. And she also kicked two goals along with that. And then moving on, uh, the Irish featured prominently, as always, Yvonne Bonner was exceptionally good again up front for Adelaide Crows. She kicked two goals, including one just before that halftime siren uh, from a pass from Neve Kelly. And of course, Neve Kelly was named amongst the best on ground again. Her stellar season continues. We'll chat about more about her in a while. And across on the Swan side then, uh, we had three Irish playing this time round. Tanya Kennedy, who was so effective as a tagger all season, had too many people to try and tag this week. In fairness, she couldn't be everywhere. So uh, she was a little bit more limited than normal. The game also featured Paris McCarthy and Julia Sullivan. Julia Sullivan played well, but has been since handed a one-match ban by the match review officer for rough conduct. So she is going to miss uh, the first game of, of season 2024. Um, but I don't think that's that's going to worry the Swans right now. So yeah, in the end, Adelaide uh, march on to a preliminary final. They certainly do, but as you rightly pointed out there, the Swans have had such a fantastic season. It bodes very, very well for next year, and let's hope the Irish are back with them, uh, performing as well as they have. Disappointment, they're out. Adelaide Crows back into the mix. Now we turn to the second semi-final, which took place on Sunday, November the 19th at the at Icon Park in front of over 5,000 people as well. The Melbourne Demons were beaten by the Geelong Cats, 50-45. Melbourne Demons Irish this season have been Sinead Goldrick, Blaheen and Amy Mackin, while the Geelong Cats Irish, Rachel Kearns, Ashling Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy, but 
despite being down 30 points at one point, Mike, the Demon stage, a huge comeback, but it wasn't enough, and the Cats pull off a big, big shock. Yeah, what a game at Icon Park. Uh, you know, this is arguably one of the best games ever seen across the last number of years for a number of reasons. I suppose it had so much riding on it going into the match. Uh, Melbourne, this was their last chance, defending champions after losing previously. Cats had won their first ever final and they were on a high. There was lots at stake and the game delivered. Um, in fairness, Geelong came out of the guns blazing at the start of the game with a red hot start as they say down under uh, they scored uh, two goals four behinds I think in, in the first quarter uh, and in fact were up 30 points at three quarter time and, and you thought the game was done and, and dusted at that side or at that point Melbourne looked aside low on confidence and that's not something we're used to seeing at all um, and, and probably definitely not playing as well as they did at the start of the season when they looked invincible and contrast in with Geelong who were playing full of confidence there after winning three games in a row. As I said, they dominated the game for that for that first three quarters. But then, quarter four, this is the one that, if you haven't seen the game, just watch the fourth quarter alone. Um, five goals from Melbourne, including three goals from one of their star forwards, Eden Zanker, who hadn't scored throughout the rest of the match. Those five goals were only interrupted by a Geelong goal from Ashling Maloney, their temporary star, which actually proved crucial in the end. And right with the last kick of the game, there was a chance to to level it. The Melbourne Rook, Lauren Pierce, had a shot at goal. It just tailed off to the right, fur behind. Um, it was looking like it was going to be a draw in a final for the first time ever. But that was it. A frantic minute to follow. And Geelong held out by five points for a brilliant win for them. Um, Nina Morrison was probably their star performer on the night, as was most of their midfield, in fairness. She had 29 disposals, eight tackles, 10 clearances. And she was followed closely by her midfield partners there in Amy McDonald, who kicked two goals in, in that first half, and Georgie Prispakis, who we talk about every other week as well. Um, and then, of course, in terms of the Irish, Ashley Maloney kicked that crucial goal, and the, the team also featured in defence Rachel Cairns there. Uh, for Melbourne, um, remember Melbourne beat along by 45 points earlier this season as well. And in that game, Melbourne captain Kate Hoare scored four goals. She was held scoreless again in this game. So Geelong got the, the tactics all right in this one. And it really was a brilliant game for them. In terms of the Irish Demons, Sinead Goldrick was absolutely brilliant. And she ended up playing in midfield for the, the last two quarters. Uh, such were the changes that had to be made to try and stem the the goals and the dominance from Geelong. Um, Lion Mackin also played very well with 13 disposals. Amy Mackin. 10 disposals and one of those crucial goals, uh, one of those crucial comeback goals in that fourth quarter. But um, Geelong brought huge pressure. They disrupted Melbourne's playing style and their kind of chain passing game. And Melbourne have unfortunately become the, the second side to be knocked out in straight sets uh, by losing both their games in their double chance, similar to what Richmond did last season. And have lost three games in a row for the first time in their history. So they've lost a lot to ponder at the end of the season. As I say, started brilliant at the start of the season, finished with three losses, and they will not now defend their title. So Melbourne Demons' season is over. Geelong win another final, and they head forward to the preliminary final next week. 
They certainly do, and that's a, a fantastic summation of what was a brilliant game. And I, I agree with if you get a chance at all, go look at that fourth quarter because it was something else. But it is fantastic news for the Geelong Cats. They're the ones who knock out the reigning premiers, the Melbourne Demons, 50-45, and move on to this weekend's preliminary finals weekend. And what a weekend it's going to be. On Saturday, November the 25th, at the Brighton Homes Arena, Brisbane Lions will face... The Geelong Cats, that side that we were just talking about that have knocked out the Premiers. The Geelong Cats, Irish, of course, Rachel Cairns, Ashley Maloney and Anna Rose Kennedy. They'll be coming face-to-face with the British or the Brisbane Lions Irish, Orla Dwyer and Jennifer Dunn. On Sunday, November 26th, the second preliminary final sees the North Melbourne Kangaroos taking on a revitalised Adelaide Crows. We've mentioned the Crows Irish already, Niamh Kelly and Yvonne Bonner. They'll be coming face-to-face with Eric O'Shea, Eilish Considine and Niamh Martin for the Kangaroos. Two hugely... Uh, anticipated games Mike uh, four of the most informed and consistent teams in this year's Premier what way do you think these games are going to go well look at this is exciting two brilliant games to look forward to two cracking preliminary finals you know there's a, a unique situation that we could have a novel grand final here if North Melbourne and Geelong upset the odds a bit and get through to the grand final I'm sure that's one that the neutral fans of AFLW would absolutely lo- love to see or will we have the aristocrats of AFLW, Adelaide and Brisbane back in action against each other. You know, um, Adelaide have won three times. If they win next weekend, they'll be in their fifth grand final. Brisbane will also be in their fifth grand final if they get through. They've won once and lost all those other finals, so they'd love to add another Premiership Cup to their tally. But yeah, both of these games intriguing. You know, Brisbane versus Geelong up at Brighton Homes Arena. As I said, Cats are through to their second preliminary final ever, but this is the first time since the, the top eight finalists were introduced. Uh, previously, it was in the, the conference season. They hadn't won a final before this season. Now they've won two. They're going to feel that they can go and win three for sure, the role that they're on. Uh, and as we've mentioned, Brisbane, very experienced at this level, played in multiple preliminary finals and those four grand finals. Um, but remember, most recently, their last grand final was last season where they lost to Melbourne Demons at Brighton Homes Arena, which was the first game at their new ground. So uh, we also, from an Irish point of view, this is an intriguing possibility that we might see a Dublin All-Star after the weekend. Congratulations, Jennifer Dunn. Um, line up against Ashley Maloney from Geelong. Um, and what a battle that would be. Uh, they'll definitely cross paths at some stage, but there's a high likelihood that Jennifer Dunn, who has now become one of Brisbane's main key defenders, could end up on Ashley Maloney for at least part, if not all, of the game, who has quickly established herself as one of Geelong's key forwards. So cannot wait for that one. And then roll on to Sunday, you know, Adelaide versus North Melbourne down at Icon Park. Um, the Crows aiming to get into a, a fifth grand final. This is their fifth preliminary final. The Kangaroos, they've had the benefit of a week off and they'll be keen to get into their first ever grand final. So a huge, huge amount on the line for North Melbourne Kangaroos, they lost at this stage last season against Melbourne. Came very close. We've mentioned that a couple of times. So they'll be wanting to get into that first grand final. And they've been very impressive all season long as well. And, you know, in a way, I think the fact that Melbourne are out now will, will probably give a, a bit of confidence to some of these other teams as well. Um, and interestingly, though, the Crows, as we've mentioned, probably the all-time greatest side after their win over Sydney. At the weekend, their head coach, Matthew Doc Clark, said that that was the first time Crows have put together a four-quarter performance across the season. So if that's the case, um, North Melbourne look out and Adelaide seem to be peaking at the correct time. But all in all, two cracking preliminary finals coming up. 
couldn't have said it better myself this coming weekend Saturday November 25th the first of the preliminary finals at the Brighton Holmes Arena Brisbane Lions taking on the Geelong Cats and on Sunday November 26th the second preliminary final at Icon Park North Melbourne Kangaroos versus Adelaide Crows Irish Stars in both games um, and as you said two very very difficult finals to call but whoever emerges we are set for an absolutely cracking grand final on Sunday December the 3rd when the 2023 AFL Women's Grand Final will take place we finish this week Mike uh, having reviewed and looked ahead to what's coming with some very very good and positive news about a player we have spoken consistently about and you've talked about for a long long time and that's Neve Kelly who has the honour of being named in the All-Australian squad A huge honour for Neve Kelly thoroughly well, well deserved she has been named on the 44 strong All-Australian squad for 2023 she becomes only the third Irish player ever to make the All-Australian squad after Cora Staunton and Orlo Dwyer and of course that season Orlo Dwyer went on to win an award so we're all hoping, fingers crossed, that Neve Kelly will win an All-Australian Award. They'll be announced at the W Awards next week, just before the Grand Final. But what a season she's had. You know, All-Australian squad, as we've mentioned, she's our AFLW Irish Player of the Year, so we're doing something right with that competition as well. Uh, she's a finalist for Goal of the Year. She's down to the top three uh, goals for Goal of the Year after that absolutely brilliant goal she scored, and we saw her speed in action. She won the showdown medal for best on ground uh, in the showdown game against Port Adelaide. She won the best on ground award in Pride Round. It's arguably one of the best seasons by an Irish player ever in AFLW. So I would absolutely love, and I'm sure everyone would love to see Neve Kelly pick up an All-Australian. But regardless, she's had a phenomenal season and great to see that being recognised. It certainly is. As you said, what a season she's had, but what a, it would crown what has been a terrific season for her um, to get named, as you said, on the All-Australian team. But being part of that 44 uh, squad and uh, even at that, it's a huge, huge honour with only two, two other Irish players having achieved that accolade before. As ever, Mike Curran, thank you very much for your tactical analysis and we cannot wait to look forward. We're looking forward to these two finals over the coming weekend. The preliminary finals, as you said, Brisbane Lions versus Geelong Cats, North Melbourne taking on Adelaide Crows and the winners will face off in the AFLW Grand Final on December the 3rd. So for now, here on the Big Red Bench, to Mike Curran, thank you very, very much for your time. Thanks, sure. Looking forward to chatting next week. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. Our resident rugby expert Wendy Keenan joined me on this week's Cork Shred FM Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast to review the latest women's AIL results involving UL Bohemians and Ballancolic Women's RFC. Wendy also has all the latest Munster Women's Adult Leagues and Munster Youths Under 18 results, plus an exciting update on the changes to the upcoming Celtic Challenge Women's International Cup competition. Okay, another very hectic week on and off the pitch with headlines and loads of matches and results to get through when it comes to Munster Women's Rugby. So we are joined here on the Big Red Bench by our resident rugby expert, Wendy Keenan. Wendy, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm great, Jar. How are you keeping? Not too bad, not too bad. It's a busy time uh, for Munster Women's Rugby from adult to youth uh, to under-16s. But we start with some interesting news and some breaking news about the upcoming Celtic Challenge. Can you tell us more? Yeah, I suppose just to fill in for, for anybody that's new to listening to us, you know, this is a competition organised by the IRFU, the WRFU and Scottish Rugby and supported and funded really and financed by World Rugby. Um, so they have confirmed the fixtures for next. And I suppose it's a tournament that bridges the gap between the domestic game and the international game before the Six Nations, which is really important. Last year, we had one team, um, the Ireland Combined Provinces team, and they were unbeaten in the tournament. This year, it's now been expanded year, and there's going to be two teams from each of the unions competing. Mm-hmm. So the girls are going to have more matches, more competitive game time, I suppose, to, to see players, which is really important. So the competition now is going to span from the 18th 
December to March 2024. The fixtures haven't been released. They're going to follow in early December. So we'll know those now. So um, look, lots of girls are going to be really, you know, putting in big performances over the next two weeks to try and make those two squads. And the key thing here is, Wendy, by expanding the actual Celtic Challenge, what we covered last year and the year before when we were talking about it, this is the shop window pre, uh, you know, Six Nations, where anyone, anyone looking to get into the Irish international setup really needs to put their hand up here. Oh, yeah, absolutely. You know, they're, they're what are they, round eight now mm. in the WAIL. So, you know, they have a lot of rugby behind them. They'll have, some of them have been to the WXBs. Um, you know, so those players have been seen. So now it's an opportunity for the rest of the cohort players, new coach, new opportunities to put up their hand and say, I'm here to be selected. Of course, this is going to have a knock on effect on the club rugby. Mm. Um, you know what I mean? So girls are going to be, you know, I suppose, taken from the WAL teams. Predominantly, there will be other girls, of course, involved, which will have a knock effect down the club where other girls at maybe um, a provincial level are now going to have an opportunity to play up and play in the WAIL. So there's considerable knock on effects throughout the clubs for all the players selected. Yes, but as you said, the big headline here is the fact between December 18th and March 2024, the Celtic Challenge is now expanded and an opportunity for the Irish provinces to um, players on the cusp or on the fringes of that Irish international team, a real opportunity to show what they can do. So exciting times ahead and we will cover that here as best we can on the big red bench. We move from the Celtic Challenge and into provincial news to the women's AIL where contrasting fortunes this week for UL Bowes, a tight win for them and uh, for Ballincollig, a defeat. Yeah, another win for UL Bowes, fantastic run of of games now and matches that they've had and to get one over Railway Union, they'll be absolutely delighted. A very closely contested affair by all accounts, um, 10-7. And interesting, they had it live streamed, so you could have listened to the match. Um, and Emma Constantine was involved there. So a nice new initiative there um, from Irish Rugby. Um, delighted for them. They they maintained their, their, their top spot there. Um, so Ballincollig were defeated by Old Belvedere, but I believe they still held their, their fifth position in the league. We did say that they were having a tough run of matches, mm. that they were meeting the top, you know, uh, four teams um, over the next couple of weeks. And here we have another one of them. Yes, but as we said, the fact is, you was mentioned there, they're fifth in the table, which is an endorsement of what they've done uh, before the season and those fantastic underage structure that they've got there. These are the years, unfortunately, where there will be results like this. But the overall scheme for Ballincollig still looks very, very positive. And well done, you well pose. Real tight win there to stay undefeated and stay top of the table. Um, and the the... the culmination of this year's league title race is going to be very very interesting as well as the Celtic challenge and requirements for the players there but uh, some interesting times ahead in the women's AIL top tier and, and lovely post from their coach Fee Hayes you know we, we, Fiona's very emotive so uh, if anybody's following her on social media uh, she had a lovely one about uh, uh, you know the, the second half of the match so I won't go into details <laughs> Yeah, don't. We'll get Fiona at some stage and she can explain better herself. Maybe with a few weeks. I'll have to have the old buzz already there for the expertise. But anyway, yeah, fantastic coaching. Great to see you, old buzz, doing so well and so consistent and keeping that winning run going. We turn our attention now from the women's AL to the Monster Division 1 and Division 2 in another hectic weekend, Wendy. Yeah, a lot of matches been played. Um, so at Division 1, Ennis Kilrush have defeated UL Bowes 27-19. They will be absolutely yes. thrilled. Um, with that, with that match. Tralee defeated Skibbereen 31-29. Lots of scores there. So a narrow win for Tralee. And Shannon defeated Dolphin 41-5 being the, the score there in that match. So at Division 2, Thurless had a good win over Mallow 24-7. Middleton proved too strong for Ballincollig 17-7. They'll be over the moon. You know what I mean? Their first two playing in the competition. And another win for Brough, defeating Clonakilty 20-0. So they have held the top spot there um, in Brough. So delighted for them in their first year. So we we highlighted, I suppose, Brough and Ennis Kilrush, their first year in the tournament. And here they are, both winning. 
Yeah, good momentum behind those clubs and very, very important to have that, Wendy, as you know better than anyone. The first year when you're up and involved to keep people in, involved and to keep people going. But a fantastic set of results for them. Can they keep it going, though, is the question. Absolutely, they can. They've got depth of squad. Um, they've got really strong numbers, really good coaching um, coaches in behind them. And they've got the pathway the whole way up when he's 40, 16, 18. So, they're, you know what I mean? The players are going to come through from the under 18 um, set up that they have. So, look, um, I have no doubt that they will be fighting, you know, and in a couple of years time, they'll be looking maybe perhaps to, you know, to apply to go into that WAIL. Is there, there's their, there's their incentive straight away. It certainly is, as you said, the clubs with the infrastructure have the ability to do that over time, but it's great to see them doing so well, as you said, in their first year up. From the adult division one and division two, we turn to the Munster youths under 18s and an action packed weekend with lots of games here too. Yeah. So last week we mentioned the 14s and 16s. This week we'll just deal with the 18s. Um, so we had lots of defeats, or sorry, lots of wins there. So let's go through them. So, um, Brough were defeated by Ennis 36-12. Uh, Shure were too strong for Shannon 22-0. Um, there and Ballina Killaloo too strong for the Mallow Mitchellstown, which are in their infancy stage. 30 nil there was the score. We had, uh, Clonakilty defeating the Dunmanway Bantry amalgamation. Dolphin proved too strong for Middleton, uh, Yol Fomoy and Killarney, uh, defeating Ballincollig 24-12. So lots of tries being scored, lots of matches being played and just one under 16 match and Shannon defeated Kilrush in a, a previous deferred match. So, um, yes, yeah, a lovely rugby being played. Yes, despite the awful weather as well. It was great to see across social media, all those clubs are keeping a close eye on Instagram, particularly, um, the way they're promoting their clubs. Every one of those clubs, not just the Cork ones, are really, really credit to them because they're putting up the scores, they're putting up the pictures, lots of happy faces covered in mud, I might add. But what would you expect at this time of the year? But great to see all those games going ahead when so many other sports are struggling with uh, facilities and with pitches. It is great to see that amount of matches being played and credit to the Munster youths for getting those games played. Um, finally, this week, Wendy, we have news of the final weekend and a big weekend for those trialling for the Munster under-16s. Yeah, we spoke a couple of weeks, Ger, about the the amount of talent that's coming up from that under-14 age group. Um, I mean, we spoke, I suppose, at length about that under-14 league and cup competition last year. And here we're seeing it all coming to fruition because the, we're blown away by the talent. And those players have been nominated by their clubs. So it's, it's a real, you know, prestigious um, event for them. So the final trial was held in Musgrave Park yesterday. Uh, the very best of luck to all the girls. Uh, and um, it's just... Smiley, happy faces, girls enjoying playing rugby, making new friends, you know, developing their skill set, playing with girls that they wouldn't have played with before because it's across all the clubs. And the very best of luck to, to all of them. I just had a, a conversation with one of the development officers and I said, you're going to have to increase those numbers, you know, um, so every girl that deserves to be in that squad is going to be offered a place. Yes, and as you said, the the talent at, the, at under-16 level is a very, very good point because we talked about it last year at length that the numbers playing at under-14 level, the numbers that have come through from the, getting experience out playing with their schools, which is brand new, but also the pathway and all those games, this is when they benefit it, Wendy, because when they get to 16 and when they get to the trials, they're ready for the trials and good luck to everybody that's still trialling, but um, a lovely moment for those that'll make it. Yeah, when we talk about the playing age of, of girls, you know what I mean? It's totally different now. What mm. we mean is what age they've started playing rugby, what age they've started learning those skills. And as they come up, like before, we might have seen a girl, you know what I mean, taking up rugby 26, 27. Mm. So she didn't have that playing age. Now we're seeing them starting at eight, even younger, right? Mm. Coming up eight, tens, twelves in the minis and the whole way up through the ladder. So, um, 
Yeah, look, really special bunch, um, a bunch to watch out for. I'm really looking forward to seeing them, you know, uh, progress into the under 18 team, the senior team, you know, as we track them, we can track the players now, which is really important and say what age they actually started at, you know, because of all the data is collected uh, and the, the packages that we enroll the players on now or register the players on now with the clubs. So it's, um, it's lovely data to see. It certainly is and just shows how far we've come and how well Munster uh, Women's Rugby is now and what, what a solid footing it is on. Good luck to all those girls training for the Munster Under-16s. We'll have news of that next week or the week after. That wraps it up for another action-packed week of Munster Women's Rugby. Even more to come next week and all the way through the winter and into the new year. But for now, uh, on behalf of everybody here on the Big Red Bench, once again for your expertise and all your knowledge, Wendy Keenan, thanks very much for joining us. Delighted to be here, Jared. Thank you. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Munster Women's Hockey PRO Graham Catchball is back on the Big Red Bench to review the latest rounds of the Munster Women's Hockey season. Graham provides results and scores from all the recent Women's EY1 and Women's Munster Division 1 matches. And we also take a look ahead to this weekend's Munster Women's Hockey fixtures. Now then, another busy week of women's EY1 and Munster Women's Division 1 hockey with loads of results, loads of games going ahead, important results at both ends of the tables. And we also have a look ahead to the upcoming fixture list. It's a busy, busy time in Munster Women's Hockey, so there's no one better than the Munster Hockey PRO. Graham Catchball to join us here on the bench to take us through all the latest action and look ahead to what's coming up. Graham, you're very welcome back to the bench. How are you? I'm good, Jaron. Yourself? Not bad at all, no. It's a busy time for Munster Women's Hockey, as I said. And last week, we had a Catholic Institute with two games in quick succession in the Women's EY1. Yeah, so Catholic Institute had a busy schedule at the moment. Um, so they had two games last weekend, um, winning both of them, which is which is an incredible uh, feat, I suppose. You know, a, a tough turnaround as well, just 24 hours between the games. Uh, first of all, they were at home to Pegasus. Um, Pegasus is a strong team from the, from, from the north of Ireland, and they won that one two 0 with Naomi Carroll and Kieran Maloney getting the goals there. Um, then on to Sunday and an away trip to to Dublin to face Railway Union, who are second in the table at the moment. And Institute came away with a one nil victory. Uh, Naomi Carroll with a with another goal and uh, continuing her impressive uh, goal scoring form in EY one this season. Um, so maximum points, six points this weekend puts a puts a great reflection on, on I suppose, um, the, the, the table now. They're up to third, um, you know, with with those two wins. So um, looks like it's going from strength to strength for Catholic Institute after after maybe not a, a superb start to the season. No, and as you said, those two back-to-back wins, that's the kind of thing that can turn around the season. Fantastic results for Catholic Institute in an EY1 led by Loretto Hockey Club uh, on 24 points. They're on maximum points. Railway Union decide that Catholic Institute beat 1-0 uh, last Sunday thanks to Naomi Carroll's goal. They're three points behind in 21, but up into third place and four points clear of the nearest challengers, old Alex. Catholic Institute now running high in that th- uh, top position. And as you said, just to put some uh, to realism around this, this is such a competitive EY1 one league that's a fantastic place to be in at this point of the season for them Graham yeah I know it's, it's incredibly competitive this year and and looking at the the teams in in the division at the moment you know all of them have have incredible pedigree at this at this level um even the likes of Pegasus there would have been champions a couple of years ago are, are now sitting in ninth place and you know things 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 have really really tightened up there um and, and you know teams are taking points off each other um all, all over the place so um I suppose 
good to see Institute continuing their good form from the last couple of seasons and, and, and look, mixing it at the top of the table now. Um, after, after, you know, as I said, like a, a start that they maybe didn't expect. Um, but hopefully this momentum now will, will continue through, um, in, in, in the league and also in the cup competitions as well. Yes, indeed. So well done to Catholic Institute, as we said, back to back wins there over, um, Railway Union and, uh, Pegasus to take themselves up into third place in the EOI one. Let's hope they can continue that great form. Now we turn our attentions to the, uh, women's Munster Division one league and the top of the table clash er, last week between Harlequins and UCC, Graham, and also a slew of games on Saturday with important results at both ends of the table. But let's start with that game from last Thursday and Harlequins and UCC. Yeah, so, so, so a real, uh, six pointer, I suppose, last Thursday in, in, in Harlequins Park, um, uh, between UCC and, and Harlequins, um, a very, very close affair, um, and UCC edging it 1-0 on the night, um, Jane Murphy scoring the, the, the vital goal, I suppose, and, um, for, you know, for, from what I'm hearing, you know, it was, it was a real close game, Harlequins had plenty of chances to equalize, but, um, just didn't manage to, manage to get that equalizer in the end, so it, if, I suppose it puts UCC firmly in that, in the driving seat now in, in, uh, Munster Division One and puts them in a really strong position, I suppose, going into, going into the next ra- couple of rounds of fixtures. Um, so, you know, they, they, they'll be absolutely desperate to delighted to come away with it, with the win, um, in a, in a, I suppose, uh, from a, from the most difficult game of the season. So the students seem to be finding their feet and I suppose gelling at this point. Um, but Harlequins, no doubt, will, Will will certainly fight back, and they they face each other again actually just before the before the Christmas break. So that'll be a real real interesting one to see whether Harlequins can get revenge or whether UCC can can you know extend their lead even further. So um, some exciting games ahead. Um, we also had a, a slew of games as you said, Ger, um at the weekend as well, and on Saturday. Um, so uh, UCC followed up that victory, I suppose, with a, with a convincing nine one win away to Crescent. Um, Crescent have, have proven to be a great addition to the league this year, but, but UCC really racked up the goals. High, high end confidence, I suppose, from their win over Harlequins. Uh, Blackrock continued to impress this year and up to third in the table and uh, got a draw with Bandon one all at the weekend. Um, Harlequins bounced back with a 3-0 victory away to Waterford and there was a, a an absolute humdinger of a match in, in Gary Duff with with uh, Church of Ireland uh, beating local rivals Ashton 4-3. So a really close match, uh, end-to-end stuff, plenty of action and plenty of goals. Yes, indeed there was. And uh, as you said, the league is really hotting up now. UCC currently leading away maximum points thanks to that very, very important win over second place Harlequins. They've got 24 points. Cork Harlequins have a game in hand and are on 18, so they're still very, very much in the mix. And as Graham rightly pointed out, they will meet each other just prior to Christmas and that's going to be an even bigger game to look forward to. But the rest of the league is very, very tight. Blackrock on 8, Ashton on 7, Crescent on 7, Church of Ireland on 5, and improving Waterford and an improving Bandon on 3 and 2. So lots to play for as we head into the winter period but uh, lots of games coming up as well this weekend and tonight uh, Thursday Ashton taking on Cork Harlequins so this is a chance for Cork Harlequins to narrow the gap but that's going to be a very tough ask Graham considering how well Ashton are going Yeah and, and Ashton Ashton I suppose this season have been hot and cold I would say is probably the best description you know mm. they, they're capable of taking points off, off the top teams but they're also capable of maybe um, slipping up against uh, some of the perceived weaker teams although I don't think that's the case this year I don't mm. think there's any weak teams in, in Division 1 this year um, so Harlequins will, will you know travel away to Ashton and um, will know that they'll have a battle on their hands for the for the three points um, in, in um, Ashton 
Ashton School. So, yeah, it should be a good fixture at 8.30 um, Ashton School Thursday night. Yes, and on Saturday we turn our attention just back to the EY1 League because Catholic Institute are on the road again. They face UCD um, on Saturday and with an opportunity here if they can get a positive result to maintain a bit of pressure on the top two teams in that division. Yeah, again, uh, Institute on the road again just to, to, to Dublin this time and, and again, UCD always uh, a, a tricky uh, team to face and again, previous champions I suppose, um, you know, they're, they're sitting mid-table at the moment. Um, Institute on you know, so sort of have a bit of momentum behind them. So they'll be hoping to to get the three points again um, this this weekend away to to UC, but it won't be easy. Um, yeah. Then I suppose in in, in Munster Division One, some some important games there as well. Harlequins um, face uh, Blackrock, um, and they also face Waterford on Sunday. So it's it's a very very busy fixture list for for Harlequins with uh, three games in, in 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 four days. So they'll be really I suppose utilizing the, the their their full squad over the next uh, next week. Um, Crescent host uh, Church of Ireland. Crescent have caused a good few upsets this year, so Church of Ireland will have to travel very very strongly to to, to I suppose secure points there. Uh, UCC host Bandon, and and last up Ashton travel to to Waterford in the final game. Yes, lots and lots of games, as you said, coming up this weekend, and Cork Harkins as well taking on uh, you know a lot of matches over the weekend. But they have an opportunity to bounce back from that defeat in UCC and possibly lead the league or even draw level. So lots to play for over the coming weekend. Lots of action. So keep make sure you stay tuned as well to your local clubs uh, social media accounts, which I must commend because they're very very active on match days specifically. I see a lot yeah. of the scores and things coming up, and they're to be commended for that because it helps promote the game. As does Munster Hockey with the fixture list uh, on time every week, makes it very easy to follow the league. So kudos to you for that as well, Graham. We finished this weekend with the tables, uh, obviously, that we've just spoken about, but we also with the most important thing for a lot of the players involved, and that is the goal-scoring charts. Um, quite a number of players are on four goals after the latest round. Zara Lowry from UCC, Kira Sexton uh, from Church of Ireland, Michaela Sanderson from UCC, Yvonne O'Byrne from Harlequins, Faye Graham from Crescent. Jane Murphy had a very, very good week for UCC with that all-important winner, but she's up to five goals in the standings now as well for UCC, as I said, and she's joined by Catholic Institute. Naomi Carroll who's been doing quite well recently Emily O'Leary, Emily O'Leary from Ashton and Olivia Roycroft from Bandit still knocking in the goals for them and then into the top four two UCC players uh, making headway up the table now as well Abby O'Mahony on six and Nikki Barry uh, got a couple of goals this past week as well she's up to uh, she's on seven in second place Michelle Barry from Harlequins on eight but still out in front and nobody's been able to catch her just yet Beth Ann O'Farrell on ten goals but all of that might change I think Graham over the coming days with so many games and so many Harlequin games involved as well we might see a new name at the top of that goal scoring chart yeah, very possibly. Um, I, th- I don't think Beth Ann has scored in a in a couple of games now, and uh, Michelle Barry certainly her teammates teammate seems to be closing in on her with um with Michelle's sister Nikki as well there in, th- in third place on on seven points. So there'll be a bit of a, a sibling rivalry going on there. I would say in in the Barry household um over the next couple of weeks as well so that, that, that'll be interesting to see how that plays out It certainly will it's great to see so many players though up in the top going well so many goals going in lots of action as we said over the past week and loads of action to come beginning tonight with Ashton Cork Harlequins in Munster Division 1 and loads of games as well on it Saturday and Sunday and as we said before highly highly recommend the Munster uh, Hockey and Munster Women's Hockey's presence on social media both on Instagram and Twitter very very active and all those clubs are to be commended because if you want to know how they're getting on just simply follow them and subscribe to their social media channels across a lot of the social media networks but specifically Instagram which is quite good uh, in my own humble opinion that's it for another week of Munster Women's Hockey loads of action uh, recap there and loads more to come again next week here on the Big Red Bench with Graham Catchwood but for now Graham thanks very much for joining us
Thanks again, Jar. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Corks Red FM's Formula One expert and Big Red Bench presenter, Sarah Mackenzie Foley, joins me on this week's Women in Sport podcast to provide expert analysis and her opinions on this past weekend's Las Vegas Grand Prix. Sarah speaks about Las Vegas recovering from a slippery start to deliver some box office racing, Ferrari's Charles Leclerc being enraged by a 12th failed attempt to convert a pole position into first place on the podium, and why the Las Vegas Grand Prix organisers will need much of their next 10-year contract to iron out all the mishaps experienced this past weekend. Now, here on the Big Red Bench, it's that time of the weekend where we talk all things Formula One. So our resident Corks Red FM Formula One expert and Big Red Bench radio presenter, Sarah Mackenzie Foley, joins me here on the Women in Sport podcast. Sarah, how are you? Good, thanks. Good to talk to you again. Uh, obviously, lots and lots of headlines before the Las Vegas Grand Prix even mm. occurred last week. But once it did get going and once all the lights and the razzmatazz had died down, uh, it was a slippery start. But we got, in your own words, some box office racing. Yeah, we did. I mean, things definitely didn't start off well, did they? It's like the whole, you know, tens of hundreds of millions of dollars investment potentially derailed by one manhole cover is um, probably not the headline that they're expecting from the early part of the weekend. And I think, to be fair, it, it increased in in entertainment value throughout the weekend. And we predicted last week on the podcast there could be both disaster and entertainment here in the same weekend. I think that's very much what happened and it kind of came in that order. There's a huge amount of room for improvement, I think pretty much across every facet of the event at this point in time. But as you say, the race itself definitely delivered and I think it needed to based on what had happened across the weekend, particularly from a fan perspective when you know, they paid so much money to be there and didn't even get to see their full three days of racing and were offered a $200 (laughs) gift voucher for merchandise that goes straight back into the pockets of the people that messed up in the first place. You know, it's, there's a lot of room for improvement and that's putting it kindly, I think. Yes, you're being very kind. And the $200 merch that, uh, certificate that you get for not, for missing out on nearly a day and a half, if not two days of racing, will probably get you a sleeve of one of those, uh, Formula One jackets. But anyway, um, I was talking about this today to some Formula One fans and we, we all agreed, like you just said, the organization was terrible. The manhole cover was embarrassing, but it looked spectacular. Vegas Grand Prix. Oh, yeah. Before we talk about what happened, it just the sphere, the strip, the lights. I went okay. I mean, you know, <laughs> down the straights, it is a bit ropey with the with the, with the barriers, a little bit too high, whatever. But it just from the from the sky and from the presentation, it looked spectacular. It did, yeah. You mentioned it, but the sphere. I love what they did. You know, as far as having when there was like a yellow flag or <laughs> anything like that, they. I mean, it's such a small thing. But when you see it actually done, I think it's just amazing. And we've been chatting about the kind of strange scheduling times on the podcast last week. And I think I still hold by my original opinion, which is that it doesn't need to be on that late. But I do think certainly it has to be dark, dark for every session because you just don't get that same visual impact of the lights when it's not fully dark and there are other night races where let's say like qualifying or the practice sessions happen when it's not quite fully nighttime. But I think the impact here visually is 
it's incredible. I, you know, it's something that people have been questioning. Do we get rid of Miami and keep the other two US Grand Prix now? Because what does Miami really offer when you look at Vegas? Um, and obviously Cota is, has more kind of history, I suppose, behind it from a, a racing point of view. So I think that's an interesting conversation too, but certainly Vegas brought the Vegas, I think it's fair to say. It certainly did, and Max Verstappen had plenty to say about it, but he ended up winning the race ahead of Charles Leclerc in the Ferrari, Sergio Perez in the Red Bull, passed on the final corner by Leclerc, um, uh, finishing in third. Esteban Ocon in the Alpine had a fantastic day, as did Lance Stroll in the Aston Martin, finishing fifth. But Leclerc... Uh, Sarah, if we could just talk about him. I mean, Max had a very, very good race. I mean, he was in mm. control for as much as he could have. But that, let's talk about that first corner, first of all, between himself and Leclerc. But also Leclerc, I think, as you've, you've pointed out, his 12th failed attempt to convert a pole position into a podium, um, you know, a checkered flag, when he really looked on the pace the whole, the whole race itself and most of the weekend when he wasn't running over manhole covers. But that first corner for Leclerc, and he, is he right to feel aggrieved? I think he is. It on first reading when the five second time penalty came through for Verstappen, everyone was up in arms because it just seemed pointless, you know, because of the pace that he had in the car. But to be fair to Charles Leclerc, he actually ended up overtaking him. He didn't, you know, that gap didn't automatically appear. But with that being said, not only did Max force Charles off the track, he had all four wheels outside of the white line. So he's completely off the track and you can't overtake off the track. People will say he was marginally in front coming into the apex of the corner. I still think that the penalty was too simple when you look at the fact that they gave Carlos Sainz, I should say, a 10 place grid penalty for something that was nothing to do with him. Exactly. And it just, it doesn't make sense. So we've seen it happen before with Max Verstappen lenient penalties, but that one really felt very blatant. What about that final corner? In fairness to Charles Leclerc, everything that kind of went against him and he was quite aggrieved mm. on the radio throughout the race, but coming down the final straight, he's got Checo Perez in front of him coming into the final corner. The danger here is that if you overdo it and you're a little bit too hard on the throttle, both of you end up in the, in the barriers and then the whole race weekend is, is a mess, but it didn't work. It didn't happen that way. Totally. And I really liked the fact that Leclerc did that. He raced right up until the flag because, as you say, he had come over the radio feeling kind of dejected and he he didn't sit you know he didn't wallow in that he kind of I I would love to have heard what encouragement if any he was getting from his engineer or whether he just pulled it all out out himself but I was really happy to see that because he deserved more than a p3 especially starting from pole and with that overtake that happened in turn one so I was really happy for him to to get that p2. Yes, and just on Perez, before we move off, I think the highlight of the weekend was, I don't know if you've seen the clip on social media of Michael Buffer, the well-known <laughs> boxing, inter- just introducing him, and he basically stands there after a huge roaring shout. The only way Michael mm. Buffer can introduce somebody, and he just arrives into the camera, stands there with his hands in his pockets, he goes, what do you want me to do? Where do I stand? What am I supposed to do? That's Checo Perez's season, I think, in a nutshell, to be quite mm-hmm. honest with you. He's getting there, but he doesn't know what to do when he does get there. But I thought that was just uh, so funny. Um, can I just ask you briefly about Esteban Ocon? Because a fourth-place mm. finish, considering the, the, the himself and Pierre Gasly were kind of going toe-to-toe at one point. They actually, I think yeah. they touched at one point. That's a seriously good result, considering everything that was going on around him, especially for Alpine. Completely. And Gasly has been performing really strongly lately, and I think that needed to happen. They both needed to they both needed to just find a bit more performance towards the end of the season because it fell off for a while there and it fell off at the wrong time. 
in particular because they had just had that celebrity endorsement announced and they've had even more folks come on board since then. And I feel like it needed, you know, it's very hard to keep the momentum and the excitement around that going if the on-track results aren't coming. So as you rightly say, a very important result. But I think they have, they have unfortunately crossed paths in, in not the best way already a couple of times. And they weren't best friends anyway going in, into it. So I think it'll be interesting to see next year if the Alpine comes out and let's say is immediately competitive at the beginning of the season Mm. how do the team bosses manage that relationship because i think it would take quite a bit of management i think that's an understatement as well yes i think (laughs) i think it will but it was great to see that the fact he was willing to stand up to gasly and look what happened then when he did and things went his way but i thought he he drove a very very mature race for somebody who's not necessarily got as much experience as the drivers around him just one final driver i wanted to ask you about um not a good weekend for mclaren but lando norris was one of only three drivers not to finish and one of the things lando is very good at is as you've pointed out repeatedly here on the big red bench is the guy's consistency and his talent it was a nasty enough crash I mean uh, he, mm. he was fairly shaken up by it but not the best weekend for Lando no I think it was really disappointing for him and Piastri looked very competitive you know he for for what he had underneath him he looked very competitive and you have to think that that Lando at some point during the race would have found that performance as well so I think it would have been an important points tally for them at the end of the day coming towards the the last race of the season but as you say the main thing is definitely that he walked away from that okay I think there was an interesting comparison made in commentary where they said you know this isn't like Silverstone where you're hitting those pay those kind of top speeds but there's just masses and masses of runoff area in Silverstone this is you know concrete walls and it's it's tight. So definitely really happy to see him walk away from that one. Okay. And he did briefly have to be uh, taken to the hospital, but he, he was deemed okay to leave afterwards. Yeah. And that's the big news, of course, more than anything, whatever about the crash and whatever about his inconsistency on, on the weekend. I thought it was tailor made for him, that kind of racing that he's aggressive mm. and he's not afraid. And he's, you know, the, the corners and the straights with the McLaren, but obviously not, but good to hear that he's okay. Just to put a ribbon on the Vegas Grand Prix that you've witnessed over the weekend, uh, Sarah McKenzie 40. I mean, they've got a 10-year contract, so what have they got to do? Mm. Start with the manholes. Start with the manholes. Yeah, I think, like I said earlier, let's have let's have things start a little bit earlier. There was no buffer whatsoever for anything to go wrong, and I think that's a naive decision in Formula 1, and we saw that, you know, essentially blow up in their faces on Friday night. Um, I think... There were some interesting articles and some interesting pieces of footage about how fans were treated around the track. Um, you know, the the hospitality areas ran out of water, <laughs> which seems like a pretty basic thing uh, for a city that's used to hosting massive parties pretty much 24-7. So I think there's a lot, but I will say that if they can keep the racing competitive, mm. then it could be very interesting over the years to come for sure. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I think after everything that went wrong, could go wrong, that did go wrong, and all the gaffes, and even just with the whole celebrity thing, which was OTT, the racing mm-hmm. actually did stand up for itself. And I, I agree a lot with what Max Verstappen said over the weekend. I mean, the comment about, you know, Monaco being the Champions League and Vegas being the National League, which is even non-league for those who don't know anything about uh, English football, is below all those leagues. I think it was a cutting remark from the world champion, but it wasn't far wrong, but... 
we got a race with loads of overtaking. We had lots of incident. Uh, only three cars didn't finish and Max won again. So, you know, it doesn't matter what happens it's at the end of the weekend. Red Bull ended up winning anyway. So I suppose he's entitled to say what he wants. Um, the Vegas Grand Prix is in the books. It was the penultimate Grand Prix of this season, believe it or not. There is one race left to go and that is in Abu Dhabi on Sunday on the 26th of November. We will review all of the action on that particular race, um, on next week's podcast. But in the interim, Sarah McKenzie Foley, where can we hear you on the radio and when? And where can we find your social media uh, output? Yeah, so I'll be back on the Big Red Bench again on Sunday. So there'll be lots to chat about with that race. And you can also find me on Twitter at MacTweets underscore and on YouTube if you search Sarah McKenzie F1. Excellent stuff. We'll talk to you again soon, Sarah. Thank you. Thanks, Ger. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6pm. EchoLive.ie and Echo's Linda Mellerick joins me on this week's Big Red Bench to provide her expert opinion on Cork Senior Camogie Champion Sarsfields reaching this year's Munster Senior Camogie Decider. Linda also talks to me about the new Cork Camogie Senior Manager appointment, Ger Manley, his experience and why his appointment makes sense coming out of an All-Ireland winning season. Now, delighted to be joined here on the Big Red Bench by the EchoLive.ie and the Echo's uh, Camogie expert Linda Mellerick to take us through a positive result for Sarsfields in the Munster Senior Camogie Championship and also news of an appointment of the new Cork Senior Camogie Manager, Germ Manley. But we start, we'll start by talking about Sars, but you're very welcome back to the Big Red Bench, Linda. How are you? I'm good, thanks, Jern, you? Not too bad, no, at all. Busy, busy time, like yourself, trying to keep track of everything. But uh, good news for Sars, who defeated Newcastle West 16 points to 2-9 uh, to reach this year's AIB Munster Club Senior Camogie final. Um, it sounds from your match report and from what I've seen online that it was a really tough, tough ask of Sarsfields, but they came through in the end. It was. It was a tough ask. Um, I think conditions, you know, and look, at this time of the year, that's what you're going to expect. So... Uh, a bit a, a battle, I thought. Um, very congested around the middle of the park in the first half. Well, that's where the bulk of the action was. And I thought Sars were on top there, but yet not really, you know, getting any distance between them and Newcastle West. Of course, Newcastle West then, Rebecca Delay was the key player for them. And, you know, her burst forward from midfield, she was she lined over the half forward, but she played a bit deep in the first half. Um, she was instrumental for them. But, you know, again, to be fair to Sars, the last 10 minutes when they needed to, they up, they just upped another gear and, you know, four quick points, you know, on, on, on the bounce. And um, I think that's going to stand to them mm. in the Munster final because, you know, they needed a physical battle. I think they got one. Um, I think the final will probably be a step up again against Drum and Inch. They're a very strong, physical, in-your-face type of team. So stars are going, you know, and again conditions, you know, and and the pitch at this point in time, we don't know where the where the venue is yet. Um, but you know, assuming all pitches are in rough enough condition, stars, you know, need to try and dictate the tempo of the game and try to not get into those rock situations. Not saying they won't do themselves justice in the rocks, but you've got a very seasoned side now in Drum and Inch and a very physical, strong side against a young, energetic, lively SARS. So um, it, it should be an interesting one. 
How much will Sars take confidence from the fact that it was a tight game, as you mentioned, uh, Lynn, in your match report, which you can read on echolive.ie, but the fact that they were leading uh, by four points coming up to 60 minutes and still Newcastle West came back at them, but they were able to withstand it. And I suppose you need a bit of composure in those in those situations. And, you know, Sars have come through a tough senior Camogie Championship in Cork to win it out and doing it in style. But the benefit, as you've mentioned there, of battling to win and to hold off a tough opponent, that's what they'll need going in against Roman Inch. Yeah, and they had the same against Clonlara the week before. You know, they they got again a strong finish. That was that was nip and tuck the whole way through until the end. And Sars ended up winning by four or four ahead uh, on Sunday, except for that last minute goal. And they had defended the goal actually very very well. They'd made they'd blocked two attempts, but then they they weren't they they kept they had their, took their eye off the ball and Karen O'Leary tore through from midfield unmarked and got the pass to finish close to the net you know so that's something they learn from they'll have to be tracking back those midfield runners but other than that you know I think they will take confidence from it it's fine to get out of of your own county but to have two and I think the preliminary game will you know has you know it's no harm that they got that that was done to them as well I think Tyg in his after match um, interview felt was, was hoping that Sars would start faster based on that preliminary round behind them but you know these things happen, you know, it, it, it never works out that way. It doesn't always work out that way anyway. But they've had two strong games behind them now. They've, they've weathered the storm. They've dug it out. And I think no matter what Drummond Inch fire at them next Sunday, I think they'll they'll keep coming. Stars will keep coming and hopefully have a strong finish again. So in the last time these two sides met actually was 2019 after Stars had won their first county title in 30 years. And they met Drummond Inch in their own backyard, actually down in the Stars in the Munster semi-final and lost by a point. So, and last year, they beat uh, Scarif Oganello, beat Stars by a point. And I think it was only around, I think there were six points in it that Drummond Inch then in turn beat Scarif in the Munster final by six. So there's not a huge amount between these teams and I don't think there's a huge amount between Drummond Inch and Stars. So everything to play for, for from a Stars perspective. In my view, um, I know they've got three players travelling to London on Saturday, which 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 isn't which isn't great, but I'm sure they're just going to put that behind them, get on with it, and you know they have a strong panel as well that they can call on if players get tired. They certainly do. So, congrats, as you said, there two stars reaching a monster final. We don't know where the venue is, but we do know it's this Sunday against Roman Inch, and we'll keep tabs on that. And across the big red bench's social media accounts, we'll announce that as soon as we hear a time, a throw in time, and a venue. But in the interim, good luck to the Cork Senior Champions. Uh, stars have reached, who've battled hard, as you've explained there, Linda, to get to this stage. And uh, let's hope they can get one more and uh, lift that monster trophy. Disappointment for Black Rock, they bone out of their particular Munster uh, Championship last weekend, uh, disappointingly for them despite a really, really good effort, but it's been a good year so far for the Cork Clubs a good run for Sars and let's hope they can continue it. Before I let you go Linda, a news breaking as well last week that Ger Manley has been appointed as the new Cork Senior Camogie Manager. Now Ger um, is part, uh, was part of Matthew Toomey's All-Ireland winning uh, backroom team knows all about the in- infrastructure and ins and outs of what's going on. He was a coach under Matthew Toomey. Um, he's coming in for two years uh, just to start off with um, your view on this appointment I suppose it's an important that Cork appointed somebody knows that he can get a good look at the players and get ready to hit the ground running in the new year but appointing from within uh, is it's obviously a positive move because Jar knows the lay of the land and a lot of the players will know about him already Yeah I think it's a great appointment and I think it, it is very impor- important and you can't underestimate how important it is 
that somebody has a knowledge of not only the, the current panel that are there and the players, but, you know, the rules of the game, you know, the, the opposition, how the whole system works, if, if, if you like. You know, there are key things that, that would take any new manager a year or two to, if, if they were green, to get to grips with. So I think the fact that there's continuity there is great. And of course, Liam Cronin coming in as coach. Um, I spoke with Ger. Uh, he's not going to make too many changes at all. He has the bulk of last year's management team with him, with Liam Cronin coming in and Anthony O'Neill is staying on and Jennifer Meehan. So, you know, he obviously has to replace Matthew in, in a coaching capacity and, and replace goalkeeping coach Teddy O'Donovan so he has a couple of people in mind that he wants to bring in but other than that he said he's going to keep it very small very tight like last year which he felt Matthew had done a great job in doing and forming a great bond between the group and he wants to keep it keep it like that so but I think it's a great appointment I think the girls were very happy with last year so you know why change something that isn't broken they won the All-Ireland you know Ger picked up a huge amount obviously under Matthew uh, as well as that, you know, he he was involved. He said his first ever coaching job was actually coaching Father Neils back in two thousand and eleven. Sorry, two thousand and one, yes. and they won the county in two thousand and two. Uh, he'd been involved for a number of months, but had to step aside due to work commitments. He had to move to Port Leash, but you know, he's not daunted by the role. He's excited by it. You know, in in, in one sense, um, he's used to managing and delegating. So. Yeah, I'm sure you know this won't phase him, but at the same time, it's a it's 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 a job that he's very honoured and privileged to have, and you know his goal is to win the All Ireland. As simple as that, win the All Ireland again and improve what's already there. Certainly is, and he, it's a big task that he's taken on. But fair play to him for doing it. As you said, the fact that he's had a good look at it, and knows the ins and outs of what's required at this level, bodes well. And it's good news for, as we said, continuity uh, promoting from within. Germanly appointed as the new Cork senior camogie manager in place of Matthew Doomy for twenty twenty four, and it won't be long, Linda Melrick, before we're talking about that on the big red bench all over again. But for now, thank you very, very much for taking the time to join us on this week's show. Yep. You're welcome, Ger. Talk to you soon. That's it for another Big Red Bench Women in Sport podcast. Remember to subscribe to the Big Red Bench on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and you can also listen online at redextra.ie. Don't forget to tune into the Big Red Bench with Rory O'Hagan, Colm O'Sullivan, and guests between 6 and 7 p.m. on the radio every Saturday and Sunday. Follow the Big Red Bench across all our social media channels, as well as visiting our official website, redfm.ie. The Big Red Bench. Saturday and Sunday from 6 p.m. Cork's Red FM.